We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast. We are brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is April 9th as we sit down to record this. I think um, after exhausting all the coronavirus-related topics, um, I'm, I'm just excited to to start getting into the NBA draft. And to do that, um, Charlie Johnson is back. Charlie, I don't know the last time we went like a month ever without oh, yeah. without doing a podcast how are you i'm i'm doing okay hanging in there that you know i could be worse but i'm definitely happy to uh be up and running again it's fun to to be back talking about the nba and talking in general though it's kind of weird to be looking at you on the computer screen <laughs> rather than being in the studio it is a little different i, I thought you, we were just talking you been? i've been i've been all right um i yeah. was just kind of mentioned to you before like i felt it took like a month but i feel like this is the at least from like a work perspective, uh, the first week where things started to sort of feel normal again. Um, Timberwolves PR, I think you saw, like set up a sort of Zoom conference call with a few of us around the beat um, with Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders. So that was just like, um, I mean, I, I was already, you know, kind of in tune with how they were handling the virus as a team, but it, it was cool to talk to Ryan and Gerson actually just about like basketball stuff. And, um, you know, to, to hear where their head's at and like what they're doing, you know, obviously the more important thing is what they're doing to take care of all the, the players in the organization from a health standpoint. But, you know, I mean, Gerson didn't really shy away from being like, yeah, you know, we also need to be like prepared for the summer and, you know, for, for the actual basketball stuff that comes next. So he was like, he's like, this has been a busier time 
than normal for us because we're trying to like he says he's got all their scouts like breaking down film every day the analysts breaking down numbers you know not just on free agents on trade guys and then the draft too so yeah. i think they're i guess their head is in a similar place you know to us where it's it's worth and it to like, dig in i mean thinking about all the contingency plans these nba teams have to be planning for right now is bizarre and the timberwolves are in that regard, almost lucky because they don't have to be thinking, well, you know, what if the season comes back and we got to go to the playoffs and what if the playoffs is a full playoffs or what if it's like, you know, really shortened and then how long is their offseason going to be? At least they can already kind of start, you know, turning their, their view toward the draft and the offseason, but it's got to be crazy. Yeah. Like you think about it, if you're the, the Lakers or whatever, you, you're, you're not only thinking about like coming back and your players ready to actually play basketball and compete for a championship you simultaneously have to be preparing, you know, for the offseason, for the draft, because like what Gerson said, he's like, I mean, you look at the WNBA, you look at the NFL, like they're going forward with their drafts on the normal dates. Yeah. Like there could, there could be a situation where we're, you know, there's a draft like soon that this, that is the, maybe the next thing on the, you know, the NBA calendar. So, I mean, it feels like if you're putting, if you're putting your money anywhere, it feels like the draft is the next big thing. At least me, I just, I'm at a point where I'm like, there's, if they play another game of the 2019, 20 season, I'll just be totally shocked. Right. From a Timberwolves perspective, or do you think just from overall? I think overall, but I'm, I don't know anything. It's just like, (laughs) no, I, I think that's, I mean, I think we've all collectively like punted on the idea that there's going to be more regular season games this year, which for the Timberwolves, you know, that means it's done. Yeah. Um, I don't know from everything I've heard or read or whatever it, the playoffs seem like a goal and they're willing to adjust all of next season, you know, even, even to get there. So I think that that's still a possibility, but yeah, again, as we're trying to kind of look through this, um, through the lens of the Timberwolves, like it's, it's off season mode. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm right. Everything I'm writing, is about <laughs> with an eye on 2020, you know, and, and yeah. what, and what the team's gonna, gonna look like then, because I think that's the only thing we can expect to actually sort of happen. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny to imagine Gerson Rosas or whoever doing a, uh, a draft interview over the same <laughs> platform that we're doing this podcast over. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, it's, that's, that's, we'll talk about that as we get into these draft guys, but that's such an, an important part of the draft process is, you know, March and April and May and June when they not only get to see these guys play, but to, to meet them in person. And that, you know, that's all just basically, um, basically out the window. So all they're left with is what we're left with, you know, which is synergy, you know, watch, watch the games that, that, that's it. So why don't you, um, kind of explain how you and I, or I guess we collectively went about looking at, um, these draft prospects. And I guess we should say that the two we're doing today, are Anthony Edwards and and James Wiseman. Um, we'll eventually, you know, get into uh, the the rest of the guys, but but for now, those will be the two we'll we'll sort of focus on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like like we do a lot of other things, like during the offseason when we're looking at you know potential mid level exception signings or whatever. We're, we're thinking about these draft prospects from the perspective of the Timberwolves, not just what's Anthony Edwards ceiling, what's he good at, what's he's, what's he bad at, but you know, how, how could he potentially fit within this Timberwolves system or this Timberwolves team or this Timberwolves vision or whatever that is, just how these prospects 
you know, kind of fit into to the Timberwolves trajectory, not just what they look like in a vacuum. So I think that's at least how how I um, have been approaching this. Right. I, I think like for, for me and I, you and I have been open about this before. We're not like generally um, big college guys, you know, exactly. so my normal process is after the NBA season. Um, to to start you know digging into to these draft guys, but you know this this presents a, a different opportunity. Um, to this is the basketball we we can watch right now, and yeah. I mean I, I kind of say that to to say that we we don't pretend to be draft experts in this, and I mean I'm sure people are, who are listening to this they're going to other podcasts, they're going to YouTube to you know dig into some of the other yeah. guys from those experts. Um, I mean we can watch them play, but I think our quote unquote expertise is more in thinking about how these guys will fit in specifically into the context of the Timberwolves. So that's, you know, that's the same vein we were going through when I was talking about um, Aaron Gordon a couple weeks ago, how I think he would fit on the Timberwolves. He was talking about Karis LeVert last week, how, how guys like that. So it's, again, it's kind of the same idea of, all right, what is Anthony Edwards as a positional archetype? How would he fit into the Timberwolves? How would James Wiseman fit into the Timberwolves? And I mean, we'll break down what we've, we've seen on the, you know, the tape we've watched too. But I think for us, that's, you know, that's the best way to sort of, to sort of think about these guys. Totally. There, there's so much great stuff out there on all of them. I, you, you just want to do a deep dive on any of these players. There are a lot of them out there. That's not um, where we can have the most fruitful conversation. Right. Um, Let's just get right into Anthony Edwards. Um, he is a a freshman out of Georgia this year. Six foot nine, six nine wingspan, and weighs two hundred and twenty five pounds. Six um, five, right? Six five. So yeah, six yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Six six nine wingspan, two hundred twenty five pounds. He's number one. I've seen on most people bo- most people's boards. Not really lower than two. And then, so if you're looking at that, at that from a Timberwolves perspective, uh, the Wolves right now, assuming we play no more games. They're um, they have the third best lottery odds. So so for you know the sake of where they could land, that's a fourteen percent chance of getting number one, thirteen and a half percent chance of number two, thirteen percent chance of number three, twelve percent chance of number four, fifteen percent chance of five, twenty six percent chance of six, and a seven percent chance of seven. So I mean, Edwards is in the mix. If we if we say he's a top two pick. Um, the Wolves have a 27.5% chance of landing a top two pick. So he's definitely he's definitely relevant, um, you know, to, to think about for this team. So then to me, it's like, okay, we have a guy that it could happen. Now, who is he? What And, mm-hmm. and what my head goes to is, is you know, physically trying to envision him um, as, as a player, again, like as an archetype. And what jumps out for him in those measurements at 6'5", 6'9", 225 is 225 is really big for really a 6'5 guy. Yeah. And and so I always kind of do this with the draft. Maybe this is just shows my NBA bias, but I look up, you know, what other players, um, you know, are sort of those same measurements. I did the I did it with Jarrett Culver last year when they drafted him, and it was like Alan Crabb was the same height, weight, wingspan as him. Karis Levert, they were the same size too, and that that helps me kind of contextualize at least in my head, like step one before I've watched anything. So. He was a weird one because there's not a lot of six five dudes who are who are two twenty five. But I, I have a list here, and it's um, the first one I, I'd read about, and so I went back all the way to tw- the two thousand nine draft was Tyreek Evans, as people had compared him to okay. yeah. to him, and and Tyreek measured at the combine six five with a six eleven wingspan and two hundred twenty two pounds. 
Okay. So that, you know, that sort of made sense, you know, Tyreek and, but Tyreek Evans is a, is a big dude when you think about it. So then mm-hmm. I, you know, I kind of combed through for more of them. James Harden, 6'5", 6'11", 222. Lance Stevenson, 6'5", 6'10 and a half, 227. Amon Shumpert, 6'5 and a half, 6'9 and a half, 222. I mean, you're seeing some of these, some of these bigger dudes. Fast forward, um, Deion Waiters, 6'4", 6'7", 221. Victor Oladipo, um, he's 6'4", 6'9", 213. So Edwards is a little bit heavier than him. And then I just grabbed two Timberwolves examples. Uh, Shabazz Muhammad was 6'6", 6'11", 222. And Trevion Graham actually is a really good comp, 6'6", 6'10", and a half, and 220. So that that kind of does that kind of help you sort of picture those guys in a, in an NBA context? Absolutely. I think that the I mean the most interesting part about digging into Edwards and Wiseman for today is just that both of them are these fascinating physical specimens. You watch Edwards play and it's just like it pops. I mean that like Tyreek Evans, that like James Harden size, it pops to you. He looks like I mean, he looks like Trevion Graham's another good one. Like, could this guy be playing stretch power forward at some point in his career if he grows into his body? Like, he's just a really, really interesting physical person. And it's it, those comps match up to me. I think Victor Oladipo was like the, um, you know, like in I general, not a big it. player com- person, but yeah, like the Victor Oladipo, Donovan Mitchell, Tyreek Evans, like ceiling that kind of combo guard who's just huge. He, he's just huge. He really is. And I, I think to me, where where I see that most is when he decides to attack the basket. And I mean, when he has that in his head, he's he's physically imposing. Um and it's so physically imposing at the college level that you could say, yeah, this would still, this would still matter, you know, in, in the NBA. Um, the problem, as I'm sure anybody who has watched him or, or read anything on him, listen to other podcasts, is that he's just super reliant on his jump shot. He does, mm-hmm. not, he does not prioritize his best skill, which is that physicality, you know, going to the basket. Um, it's... I don't know. I, I think you can kind of take that two different ways, depending on your like cynicism level. You know, is that something that can be coached out? Can he be taught to prioritize his physicality more than he can that that jumper there? And when mm-hmm. I start to think about it in the Timberwolves concept, I go, well, he's taking all those jumpers on the ball, like functioning as the lead guard. And if he were on the Timberwolves, he would not be in that position often. Yeah. When when you really think about it, from let's assume Malik Beasley's back. You have the offense is going to still run through Cat at the top of the key a ton. Obviously, D'Angelo Russell is going to be the initiator. And Malik Beasley proved to be a somewhat ball-dominant lead guard, too. So you can kind of go, well, he would be forced into a tertiary role if he were to be drafted out of the Timberwolves, I think just hierarchy-wise. And that would maybe allow, you know, force him into being more of the second-side attacker. But Mm -hmm. my question... And I guess question for you is, can you see him accepting that role? Because he was just so ball dominant at Georgia and he was so that that was just his game. He was like, okay, I'm ready. Give me the ball. I'm going to come literally take it from you. Time for me to like go dribble, dribble, pull up. Like, can he get that out of his game is, is a big question. 
Yeah, and it was the question that I had, you know, watching all this tape on him too, was how does he fit in as the, you know, third, fourth guy on the Timberwolves, especially right away. But even, I mean, a couple of years into his career, because everything he did at Georgia was so reliant on having the ball in his hands. Everything I saw when he didn't have the ball in his hands, he's not a guy who's, you know, running around a lot of screens, making a lot of hard cuts, doing a lot of stuff like that. So, I mean, you're putting that nicely. Like he, if he doesn't have the ball, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. And that, and that's not going to cut it as, you know, an off ball option in this Timberwolves system. So on, on the one hand, that's really frightening. On the other hand, you look at something like his shooting, which is like, wow, he's got this great looking shot. It looks like he can get it off anywhere. Like that's really inspiring. He takes like seven, he took like seven threes a game last year, but he's only making like 29% of them. Well, what if he's not taking all of them, you know, from six feet beyond the arc with a hand in his face? What if a bunch of those are catch and shoot three pointers in this Timberwolves system? Because he did shoot it really well in high school from everything that, you know, my research showed. So I think that there's kind of like a yin and yang to it. Like could putting him into more of an off ball role where he can take advantage of those athletic gifts and like attacking defenders off of closeouts because he's got such great he's he's fast he's athletic he's got great hang time he's got pretty decent vision like he's got the skills to make it work and he's got a good shot but there's nothing about his past that you know makes you super confident that he'd make that switch you know what i mean like it's kind of a weird dichotomy right so so like kind of digging into that like dichotomy i mean i i think about it or watching it I so I watched through all of it and I was like honestly like first first run through pretty underwhelmed because when okay. you're just watching it all like in the aggregate it's just so many bad pull-ups but yeah, today actually so many. so many right and but today I just isolated it for pick and roll ball handler possessions and it looks so much cleaner um I actually think it didn't it didn't pop to me like the first time through is I actually think he's a he progressed a lot as a passer I really mm-hmm. liked his ability to be able to to be able to go right or left. And when he didn't shoot it, I mean, he, he could distribute moving both ways. Like, well, he didn't like to, he preferred to shoot, but he could do it. And I, I think for me with Anthony Edwards, I see a guy who can actually read the floor. The problem comes is he makes the read and then his decision off of that read is often poor. Now you mm-hmm. talk about him being a distributor. Like if they throw two guys at him, he can go, right or left and he can he can go make the pass because if you got two guys at you 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 and they're trapping that you you can't you can't shoot it there. Yep. But the the problem comes when he correctly reads a guy going under a screen or a guy just not playing up on him and he goes, "Oh, you're not out on me?" Like I'm shooting this. I'm pulling up. And that's the yeah. co- quote unquote correct read, right? But he's just not he's just not that caliber of shooter or he, he certainly wasn't he sh- certainly wasn't this year. Yeah. And and I think in those spots, he just would rush it. He'd be like, oh, you're not out on me right now. And he would just, on a split second, decide to pull up. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, that's fine if you're Steph Curry. But even Steph Curry is going to make that shot less often than he does his other one. For Steph Curry, he goes from a 45% three-point shooter normally to a 40, 40% shooter in those situations. Like, that's still money. But yeah. when you're Anthony Edwards and you go from normally a 35% shooter to now you're you're coming off the pulling up on a dime, rushing it, that's 30%, and it's just not profitable. But yeah. in his head, he thinks he's Steph Curry. And and that's the decision-making problem. That said, for me, I would be more concerned with a lead guard who can't read than a lead guard who makes bad decisions because 
I think a read is more of, I don't know, just like a intrinsic sort of skill. The decision making you can get, you know, kind of hammered into you from a from a coach. So I, I will say, like today, <laughs> he moved up his stock in my eyes just from <laughs> just from having kind of watched that and being like, oh, this is this is a him in his head problem. It's not an IQ problem, I don't think. Yeah, that uh, I agree with that, and it does seem like that decision making aspect of it is what would be the most coachable, especially with things like film and just things like. Like, you know, make it sound super simple. I'm not a professional basketball player, but like, if then that, like, if this, then that, like you can drill those kind of rules into your head with how you make decisions off of what a defense is doing. So it seems like some of that has got to be a little bit coachable, but I also wonder like to, to what we were talking about before, how, how much does that matter if he's, you know, depending on which team drafts him, if they're trying to deploy him, deploy him as a lead guard, or if they're trying to deploy him as a Josh Okogi or a third or fourth guy. Right. And, and so that, you know, that's kind of the question is, would he need the volume of reps in that role to fix his decision-making, you know, to be able to be a good player two or three years down yeah. the road from now. And, and I it, just, you're not, he's not getting that shot, right? If he comes yeah. in as playing next to D'Angelo Russell. No, I mean, unless they, unless it's just like he will get that shot and we will give him those reps and we think, you know, we can, we can do that without totally shooting our season in the foot, but it's not going to be starter level reps. It's not going to be the kind of reps that, you know, get you through your rookie struggles in a year, but it would seem like if the Timberwolves drafted him first, second, third overall, they might not view him as a, a true like point guard. Right. The secondary ball handler. I, yeah. I think for me, and I've watched more of him than I have the other guys, so I'm like reserving the right to change my opinion here. But I think if the Timberwolves have the opportunity to draft him, and they meaning they're not trading that pick, I think they will draft Anthony Edwards. Okay. I think if if you know if he's there, if they have the first, just put it like that. If they have the first overall pick, to me, from what I've you know been able to gather of what you know Gerson Rosas is you know, kind of style is as a roster constructor and what their style of basketball on the floor is, I think Anthony Edwards would be the player they would pick. Obviously totally. it's it's kind of top heavy and like there's a lot of guys who maybe, you know, are are sort of there. And you know, at a later date once we've spent more time looking at the other guys, you know, we can go through pros and cons. But I, I think it's just like this kid is eighteen. He's he doesn't he doesn't turn nineteen till August. So you like you think about that, that's like an August birthday, right? There's a lot of kids who are who are seniors in high school who are that, that same age right now. And yeah. and that, that don't, you know, for me, I, I have an August birthday and I was 19 my freshman year of college. Not 18, you know, it's, it's, it's that choice. Like he, he is so on the young side that, I mean, this stuff, if he's already 6'5", 6'9", 225, physically imposing at the college level, it's so easy if you are able to take the long view to see like this guy is going to develop into something much more than he currently is. What he currently is, is an underwhelming player. I would say it in an NBA sense, but if you do have that patience, if you are, I don't know, one of the Knicks or something like that, who's drafting there, like to me, you projecting forward, you, you got to think that this is one of, if not the, you know, the sort of best prospect. Yeah. The, the, I, I mean, I, Go ahead. 
I think that him being so young is really important. It's something that really stuck out to me. Um, I'm always curious about, I, I just, I'm not alone in that I'd always rather have a young guy. I want to hold off on saying who I think the Timberwolves will take until doing more research on some of the other guys at the top. But I think you're right. Like a lot of, a lot of what we talked about with his size and his physicality makes sense for, for Rosas. He can be one of the quote unquote wings in the system, but he can be a versatile wing who can handle the ball, who can, you know, theoretically shoot. He's got a, a good looking jump shot that, you know, you hope and think can, can become more and more serviceable over time. He's a, he's a defender that looks like he can become pretty switchy over time or at least be solid on the wing. So I think there's a lot there. And the fact that he's 18 years old on a team like the Timberwolves, who, in my opinion, at least still need to just be drafting best player available. Um, I think there's a decent chance that they look at him as having the highest upside. But before we kind of talk about him in direct comparison to a Kogi and Culver, because I think that's an important part of the, you know, the context here. Um, let, let's let's talk about his defense and, and what his defense showed on tape, because because if you believe, I think we go from he's the most likely pick to the no brainer pick if you if you project him to also be a high level defender. And mm-hmm. I mean the the way I took it defensively was that it was just the inverse of offense where totally you, you know what I'm saying where he's, he's off yeah. ball and you're just like oh yeah you are just as disengaged as you are when you are off ball offensively it's the same thing but then at times in critical junctures Ooh. i mean there there and it's not just like 3 4 or 5 plays like this he has like there there is if you isolate out for like his good defensive plays you're like this is a, this is a damn good defender like this is a guy mm-hmm. that you that you you could mold. So it, it's again, it it what's your cynicism level? Are, yeah. are like are we gonna label him as as lazy? Because yeah, like in the aggregate, you look at it and I go, that's a lazy defender. He doesn't care about that this much. But then you find him in these moments where he does care. He is a what's the score? That's gonna determine how hard I try guy. Like you know, back to the offensive end. I was you going back and watching the games that like went into OT. They had one against South Carolina, one against Alabama. Of course, he just attacks the rim at will. And you're like, damn it. Why didn't you do that the whole game? Like, totally. But it's the same thing. You go watch the Kentucky game, which obviously he's got all the lights on him. And defensively, he's just he's just in these dudes shorts. And he's like, I'm taking this seriously. Yeah. But you catch him in a lazy moment and he's upright. So upright. And he does the he does the stupid reach behind the back, try and poke away thing like crazy, which no good defender ever has done. So, again, you go, what's your cynicism level? Is yeah, he lazy totally. or is he 18, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, you know, you got to make your decision off of that. Totally. A lot of, a lot of his, his game does seem like a lights on lights off thing where like, you know, end of a game, he's going to, you know, give it more of an effort, lean on his strengths more as he should throughout the game, you know, on, on ball offense, he's going to look like he's trying a lot harder than he is off ball. Same with point of attack defense. He just looks like a dog off ball defense. Like you said, just standing straight up. Doesn't look like he gives a shit. And in general, I think that's a bad sign. Like guys who don't have the right mentality early on are, that's like a harder thing to coach into somebody to what we were talking about before. I also, you know, and this is more anecdotal, but I I feel like players who excel as a team defender, that's just a more transferable skill and it's just so valuable in today's NBA. Sure. So those, you know, those two things would be 
you know, major concerns, but there is the fact that he's so young and that he is like, his physicality is just, it's, it's hard to imagine somebody who's that physical and athletic not being at least, I can't think of any NBA defenders like that who are, or NBA players with his physicality that are like really bad defenders. Right. No. And maybe, maybe I'm just, maybe there are, and I'm just not thinking of them. No, but. I'm with you. Like, Jen, I mean, he's got the frame for it. And I, yeah. I would think, I mean, that to me, that's the most encouraging part of the 225 frame. You know, when I was listening off the players, I didn't mention Marcus Smart because he is about two inches shorter and a two inches shorter wingspan too. But he was also like a two, 220 pound guy coming out. And, yeah. and that like, what, what makes Marcus Smart an elite defender is he's a dog. But what makes him physically capable of being a uh, elite defender is is his strength, his core. He's like a fire hydrant, you yeah. know, to to go through. And 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 Anthony Edwards has the body. So many players in the league do do not have the body. Like they could never become that. Josh Okogie, you know, he does. Okogie is also like a two hundred fifteen pound guy, a lot longer wingspan than Edwards. But it's that same sort of thing. But then it just becomes this question of. Are you going to turn turn the lights on for it? Josh Okogie, for sure. That's he lives for turning the lights on on defense. Yeah, Marcus Smart too. You know, but the tape says Anthony Edwards is not. Um, and then the thing I just keep going back to is the age there because I, I do think that can be something that becomes more important to you over time. And I really do. I, I was thinking about David Vanderpool a lot when I was thinking about him because Vanderpool does have a track record of convincing players that defense is important. And we saw that in Portland in CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. And I do think we saw that in Andrew Wiggins this year. I think that's, I think that's the biggest testament we can give to David Vanderpool this year is like, yeah, it didn't work out perfect. I mean, whatever questions about scheme aside, I think he got through to Andrew Wiggins to say like, yo, this is, this matters. And, and that will have to be imparted on, on Anthony Edwards. The question I have though, is it's like, do you want to wait around for a guy like that? Because it might take a couple years for that. He's he's almost six years younger than Cat, five and a half yeah. younger, five and a half years younger than than D'Lo, four and a half years younger than Beasley, even two and a half years younger than Culver, three years younger than Akogi. Like, if we're talking about age curve, he doesn't fit it here. I I don't I don't think like that's been really important to them, hasn't it? it? It's been the most important thing. If you look at last year's trade deadline, they just got a bunch of twenty-four year olds. I think it brings up an interesting philosophical question where I'd love to be a fly on the wall in these Timberwolves pre-draft Zoom meetings. <laughs> um, I'd love to know, you know, how much of thinking about like, you know, a potentially top three pick in this draft when you've got a team that was on pace to win 24 games last year, like what, you know, what percentage of you is thinking about D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns' timeline and using this draft pick, whether it's by drafting somebody or by trading it for a younger player or a more, you know, immediately impactful player, like how much of your priority is maximizing that timeline with this, you know, potentially top three pick and how much of your priority is just like, it might not work with cat and D And like a guy being six years younger. Great. Like it, it's our next time. It's a pivot, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or a, a potential Avenue for pivoting moving forward. Right. It, I don't know. I it's, just wonder. Yeah. I don't know. I, I you know, I, I do too. Um, I, I would think that they, they do have, you know, contingency plans in place, you know, where yeah. it like they're 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 open minded, you know, for yeah. for sure to that. I do think that even though Carl Towns has four more years left on his contract extension or on his contract, you know, and Russell has three, that 
there is a bit of a sense of urgency, I think, for this team. Totally. And I think that urgency will make it will make what was it? you do say their perspective like what their desire i think they will desire trading this pick mm-hmm. more than you know norm a normal team with a top five pick would so totally. i don't think i could say it's more likely than not that they trade the pick because trades you know takes two to tango like it's making making trades are hard on you know particularly on draft night too but like their desire to trade it i think is is going to be I would say the highest in the group, but I, I'm just, I would be shocked if the Golden State Warriors use a, their top five pick this year and just like be like, yeah, here you go. Come into this 32 year old group and play with them. Like, I, I, I think they're trading that pick too. And I think, I think the Wolves will be similarly timeline oriented where they'll be looking for the opportunity to move it, particularly because they have that six, the 16th pick too, where they can add a young guy, you know, into the pipeline. But I mean, I'm anticipating them really looking to I don't know shopping it is the right word but if the if the right deal comes across you know dependent where they land in the lottery I think they'll very much consider you know moving that um but if they don't I I do think I do think Anthony Edwards would be would be the guy for them yeah the Warriors point is a really interesting one because if you've got two teams you know potentially in the top three or top five both trying to trade their pick you think just based on supply and demand that that makes it harder for one of those teams to trade their picks. Um, I kind of hope and I, I, I kind of just hope that the Wolves would just take the best player available, especially if one of these players they think can become a star regardless of the position, because that's just where I'm at. Um, but I do agree. I hope that if they feel more urgently about, you know, capturing this window with Towns and D'Lo, that they that that urgency manifests by them trading the pick, not just drafting somebody who's older than Edwards. Do you know well, what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think the difference is be- between you and them is that they believe in the cat Delo pairing more than you do. I yeah. think. I think the, and the, their job their job relies on it totally. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's so different. But but the line of your line of logic is that is that this you know that this might not work, which makes you know the idea then you kind of transfer that idea of trading to you know maybe someday they trade russell again who knows mm-hmm. maybe the you know they trade cat someday it's like being more open-minded to that and just i think that's what the best player available logic says yeah you know totally. in, in this context or that I, or, and you can turn it around too if cat and delo is going to work there's a ceiling and they need a third star and where are you going to get it if not with the draft and when are you going to get it if not this year when you have a really good pick that's a that's a good point. I, I can't counter that other than the fact that I don't think any of these guys are going to be stars. No, yeah. But, and they'd say, we'll, we'll trade for one. We just traded for a quote-unquote <laughs> star. Like, we right, can do it again. Right. I, yeah. So let's say they take them. They take Edwards. Say they get the first pick to take Edwards. What is the ripple effect of that on the rest of the roster? We already kind of talked about that. Maybe, you know, it'll be a little weird because Edwards is a high-usage guy. He already got some high-usage guys. But what is that – specifically, what does that mean for Josh Okoge and Jared Culver, do you think? Uh, it makes me think of Jarrett Culver more, um, it, which is weird because Jarrett Culver has a lot more upside and he, you know, is a lot newer to the league. But if you, if you bring in another sort of combo guard, who's extremely, you know, focused on offense, even though Jarrett Culver is better at defense, like his, mm-hmm. his upside potential is on the offensive end. Yeah. Then I just wonder, like, do you look even, I'm sure they're looking at what trades are out there for Jarrett Culver, even just 
for due diligence, but like, is that something that you pursue more actively if you get the chance to draft Edwards? I think, I think it says something that Okogi lasted, you know, through everything and is still on the team. Sometimes I don't know whether that's just more like happenstance and that they would have been fine trading him, but he just kind of ended up here. I don't think so, man. I, I, I obviously there's a, an element to have a happenstance to it, but I think it like it fits. It's like yeah. yeah. And and he could be like a sixth, seventh, eighth man like going forward. You know. Should be. Yeah. Yeah. And he fits timeline more. It seems like he really gets along with Kat. Like I it's just like, yeah, he's not like it's not Jared Culver where you're paying him a bunch of money and he's the you know, the fifth pick in the draft and there's all this like equity involved there. Like keeping Josh Okogi and keeping him happy is a lot easier than Culver. It it would seem to me. So I don't know. It just makes me think of Culver more. But how about you? Yeah, um, I think I think it forces their hand to move one of the two of them. Um, you you look at it. Okay, you, you draft Anthony Edwards. You go, okay, cool. There's basically two holes in the starting lineup, right? Uh, the second wing next to Beasley and power forward. And and so you go, oh, there, yeah, there's a hole there. But if you do that, then I think you move Akogi and Culver into what like how many more minutes per game are available for them because Beasley's probably gonna get 32 minutes a game like if Edwards is the first overall pick and he's starting for you he's probably gonna get 30 minutes a game like there's just a not a lot more you know wing depth time there yes yeah. it's, it's like you're then you're, you're really putting them in a role player role and and I I just think you pivot off of that with with Jared Culver because to your point, I think he he carries more value. Oh, but I'll, I'll put it like this: I, I think you you pivot off of it of whoever gives you more value value like in a trade, and maybe that is you know Josh Okogie. He makes like two and a half million dollars, where where Culver makes like six and a half. You know, so maybe that's a difference in 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 trade negotiations. Um, but the the issue is that neither Okogie or Culver, in my view, can play power forward. So yeah. So you then, I I don't know. I just I I think it's it's too many too many wings there and and you use it as an opportunity um you know to to trade one of them i think it would spell the end of a kogi or or culver's time in minnesota or just really hammering them into like a backup backup role and how could yeah and that would just seem so like if you did that with Jared culver if you drafted him so high and then you gave him you know a good opportunity and he didn't exactly live up to it and then even in the portion of his rookie season when your team was like really out of it you were still only playing him 15 minutes a game and then you draft somebody over him and then you just like say okay whatever like he's just gonna be a backup forever yeah oh you're saying like like if you keep him there what's the like yeah what's the psychic effect on that yeah well and just like that would have seemed like such a dumb two years of <laughs> Jared, the Jared Culver experience. But no, yeah, I I'm, suppose I'm that you. would be a sunk cost at that point. So. Right. Um, all right, let's move on to James Wiseman. Seven foot one. So these are the, the measurements I'm using for, for Wiseman and Edwards are with shoes. I hate with shoes, without shoes measurements. But like that's what I took because I don't think there's any way James Wiseman is seven one without shoes on. But that's yeah. what the internet says. Seven one. 7'6 wingspan, 240 pounds. That is also like a hard mold, you know, to find guys for. Like they're totally the people like, you know, they throw out the Rudy Gobert's and the Hassan Whitesides, but Gobert is a lot taller than that. And Whiteside is a lot is actually a lot shorter than that and longer. He, oh, is he? Whiteside was who I kept. I'm not seeing as like a size comp, but when I was watching Weissman, I just kept seeing Hassan Whiteside. So 
th- these were the ones I had. So so Whiteside is six eleven and a half in shoes at the combine. So, okay. So that okay. If, if Wiseman is if Wiseman is seven one in shoes, yeah. Whiteside is way shorter than him. Like that's a that's yeah. a that's a pretty big difference. Um, but Whiteside's got the seven seven wingspan at the combine. He also only weighed two twenty. So like it, Whiteside doesn't really work physically. If you're just like looking at those, like how how close are those? I think Whiteside's mm-hmm. obviously put on weight, but but again, this is the same thing. Like nineteen year old Hassan Whiteside, or whenever he went to the the combine, like yeah. that's what his his size was. Gobert is just Gobert is bigger. He's he's seven two, seven eight and a half wingspan. Also also two forty, but that's a pretty big difference too. You know, two three more inches on your wingspan another inch or two on your height, like that's, that's different. So it's weird. I think the mold you more move it into is, um, is Willie Cauley Stein was the closest one I could find, okay. which I guess is yeah. kind of similar. Yeah, He's that kind of makes sense. Seven one is what it, well, he was in shoes at the combine, seven three wingspan, 242. That's the closest one there. But once I start thinking about this in size and play type, Miles Turner, um, he was there six eleven and a half, seven four, two forty, and actually Jaron Jackson Jr. was six eleven, seven and a half, two thirty six. So those, you know, those those ones are are you know more similar if we're just like physically picturing them. Gorgie Jang's kind of close too, six eleven, seven three and a half. Did you look at what Embiid was combine wise? See, he didn't he didn't measure at it, but oh, that's got to be pretty close, Tom. You you think for Wiseman? I see. I think he's bigger. I think he's bigger. bigger. Yeah, yeah. I think that's got to be about the same height, height and wingspan. But yeah, bigger. Maybe I I think I think Embiid's like more more like Gobert. Oh, you do? Yeah. I, okay. And yeah. and I think Embiid. Well, certainly now, Embiid weighs a lot more than two hundred forty pounds. But for again, sure. these these are all these guys' measurements when they were kids. You know, when they were yeah. kids at the combine. Yeah, I'm thinking so. about Can- Kansas Embiid. Exactly. So yeah. it's. It's weird because with these centers, you know, these guys, you're grabbing their heights and weights. Like, Willie Willie Cauley-Stein, like, that doesn't work if James Wiseman is going to shoot the ball as a five, which I think he's definitely going to. Like, he's going to be a – like, Cauley-Stein doesn't shoot it at all, right? You know, Hassan Whiteside doesn't shoot it at all. Rudy Gobert doesn't shoot it at all. So he's like – he's kind of more of their physical mold, but I think will end up playing stylistically more similar to Jaron Jackson Jr., Miles Turner – while being a little okay. bit bigger, because I think, I think that's just what we saw. You just see in the little tape that's available is he's a guy that eventually will become a five who shoots the ball. So you're like, I would probably bet on it too, but you're like supremely confident in that, that shooting ability. I'm, I mean, I'm judging it on, on about 30 jump shots he took, yeah. but yeah, but like, yeah, it, it looks like a, it, it looks like a guy who has the fluidity to be able to shoot it. And I was actually, I, I know this guy who works for, for Nike is at AAU and watched a lot of Wiseman growing up. And he actually was just like being like, he's was not good at the AAU level, but said he definitely like does have the ability, you know, to be a shooter. And, and I mean, come on, 2020, like if you, if you can at all, like if you have any sort of stroke, you're going to be asked to shoot it. I mean, Aaron yeah. Baines is shooting like seven threes a game now in the NBA. So I do think he'll be that type of player, but, but Hassan Whiteside isn't, you know, Rudy mm-hmm. Gobert is not like Willie calls They don't shoot threes, you know, at all. So, so he's, I don't know, to me, to me, he's more of that mold. The t- let's start with defense though. The, the tape, I think for him, cause that's the most, that's the most enticing part of it. Is and that this why, 
he's going to be a that's beast all, defensively. T- totally. And that's also why he's, at least to me, interesting to talk about from a Timberwolves perspective, even though, you know, people are probably listening going, they got cat. They're not going to draft a center, which is, I think you and I both agree is like almost certainly true. Like <laughs> yeah. it's really hard to imagine Rosas agreeing with us that like a bruiser five next to cat is a really interesting philosophical conversation, but that's why it is because if he's this defensive stalwart who can, you know, guard any big man and then, you know, hopefully hold his own switching out onto, you know, some wings and guards on the perimeter then. And then if he can also, you know, hone that three point shot, then that's fascinating next to cat. It is. And it, so, yeah, I mean, it's tricky, right? When we when we talk about the, the second big next to him. I in my opinion, or what I would bet a lot of money on, is that Gerson Rosas would never pair a traditional five next to next to Cat. I view I view fives in three ways. You're a traditional back to the basket, big on offense, you know, and on defense, you're physically imposing at the rim. You know, you think about Jonas Valanciunas, Andre Drummond. Dudes like that. Then, then the other one is the stretch five, which is a guy who's probably not an elite at- athlete, but you know, can, you know, can shoot the ball. If they're a stretch five who can also defend the rim, then they're more like Miles Turner, Brooke Lopez. Like that's the best version of the stretch five. Then the third one is the athletic rim rolling five, and that's the that's the Clint Capella. That's the the guy who is more versatile than they are physical defensively. And offensively, they're pretty much just a lob threat, right? Not a not a shooter. In my opinion, Gerson Rosas would definitely take a five who was a combination of the stretch five and the athletic five. He and he would put that next to Cat. I, I really I really do think that. Okay. okay, that's interesting to me. That's just a very rare player because now because yeah. that isn't Miles Turner. Yeah, that isn't who, Brooke who, Lopez. That's a non-existent player, pretty much. Unless it's James Wiseman, baby. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> I mean, I, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I again, I don't think so. But, but, existentially, yeah, it's possible that that could happen if those skill sets exist. You know, in some players that there that somebody could be the combination of them, and and I think like in the the brightest of timelines of James Wiseman, he is that. He ends up, he yeah. ends up being Miles Turner from, you know, he ends up being Miles Turner, right? Step one, he can shoot threes and he's elite at defending the rim. Like, I think he's going to be elite at defending the rim. We'll have to see about the shot. I don't know. But then if he can also combine that with what Clint Capella is able to do, at least offensively as a role man, like, you know, that, that, that's a pretty intriguing archetype of a player to put next to Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. Especially when you, like Weissman watching him run in transition is like awesome. And, and watching that on this Timberwolves team, I mean, an NBA and any NBA team would be cool. Cause he's one of those guys who can get down the floor in like six strides and do it a lot faster than it looks like he should be able to. Um, but I want to dig into it, It's interesting for me to hear you say that you could see Rosas drafting Weissman or a guy who he thinks can be both a I mean, stretch and a, because all we've heard is, I, okay, let me put it like this. Let me put it like this. I could see that type of player eventually being added on the team. I don't know if that means Wiseman because because I think with Wiseman, you open up a whole sort of can of worms of, again, a 19-year-old needs to develop. It's not known. But if that type of player was known to exist out there, 
then I think they would be open-minded yeah. to it. So go ahead. That's interesting. No, I mean, I just think it's, it's a fascinating, like floor ceiling thing in my mind in a couple of ways. Think about like, if the Timberwolves were starting cat at the four last year, and let's say they would have signed Aaron Baines in the off season and they were starting that front court. Um, how many more wins could they have won? How many more wins could they've stacked up? Like, I think they could have been a much, much, much better team. Um, so well, I mean, like, they would have just been a much better team if they, if they played Gorgie Jang alongside of them sometimes. Or that. Maybe yeah. not much better, but you probably win a couple more. Like, No, yeah, I agree. They got I think bruised. you could be considerably better. Yeah. So, but I like, get why they didn't. I get why they didn't, too, because it was – that is – you know, that does get in Cat's way. That's limiting to Cat, which was, like, objective number one, do not limit Cat. Yeah. And maybe at some point they, they will have to accept that Carl Anthony Towns isn't and isn't going to become a good defender. But I don't know that it doesn't seem like there's any reason to believe that they're there yet. And I do think that when you go down the path of pairing him with a bruiser, which I think would make the team better, I do think that you're limiting some of the ultimate upside. Like if you still think a, a, a team optimally built around Carl Anthony Towns has championship potential, I think that it. I still think so much of it revolves around him becoming a rim protector because then he can be like the the absolutely perfect stretch five for today's NBA. And that's where you have like the real upside of this team. And if, and if I, yeah, he can be that five, that's what they're going for. I mean, that is yeah. the the far more likely path. I just, I don't think they're, I think, and we probably contribute to this some too. And we painted as a little too black and white. Like they're only going to play small ball period. Like, no, I, I, I think they they painted that. We just watch, we watched a whole year of it or half a year of it. Yeah, but okay, but then the you know the the other line to point to is Houston, and they didn't do that. Like Clint Capella, literally yeah. Clint Capella, you know, played for them, and that's where Gerson Rosas was from. Like, it's different because obviously Cat isn't there, and it's James Harding that you're switching out. But I mean, they didn't play Clint Capella because oh, this is just the center we got. Like, no, they like Clint Capella. Yeah. They paid Clint Capella. Like oh, they pivoted off of, of Clint Capella eventually because they were, they had limited options. It's just, they're, well, they're too smart yeah. to not make multiple different types of plans. Yeah. That's a good point. They, they loved Clint Capella when their whole offense was based around pick and rolls. Once they realized that they should just have James Harden ISO 20 times a game, then they were like, now we trade Clint Capella. Exactly. It's just, it's just smart. So I do think, and we haven't really talked about this, but like, I think what Rosas wants more than anything else is like an Aaron Gordon type of four. That's what I talked about on the previous podcast, wrote about it. Like maybe not Aaron Gordon specifically, but a guy who can get out and run, a guy who plays with force on both sides of the floor, whether that's, you know, physically getting to the rim or physically preventing other players from getting to the rim and, you know, can run and fly with, you know, D'Lo on the break. Like I think to your point, like that's the upside one. That's, you know, that's that's the shot that probably maximizes this with Cat. That's so, the downside. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's the, the the far more likely path. I just I don't know. Um I don't think we need to like preclude all possible centers from it. Even even if we just say it's a two percent chance, you know, a two percent chance that they pursue a, another five next to him. Now, like Wiseman is like really clearly a five because he's so big that like I you know I I find it unlikely that they would you know, that they would roll with him 
next to Cat. Um, I think he's different than Capella. Like if you put him, if you put Cat and Capella next to each other, I like that better because I feel confident Capella can get out and go be the guy who's, you know, matching up with the smaller, faster four on the other team. And then you can put Cat back in the, the five spot in that situation. Like you could swing those guys in and out. Now Wiseman, I think is he's, I think he might be mobile enough. Like he seems to have like the hips to be able to like swing open and be able to like go defend a shot at the rim. I don't think he's going to have the lateral quickness that a Clint Capella can have. So, so I think that, you know, that's the difference. The more likely quote unquote five to put next to cat is Clint Capella than it is James Wiseman, but we don't know what James Wiseman is yet. So, and we don't know what they think James Wiseman is. If they think James Wiseman is similar to Clint, could be similar to Clint Capella, but also with the jump shot on the other side of the floor, I don't know. I don't think it's a 0% chance that they would that they would take him. I don't think it's a 0% chance either. And like weirdly, even though talking about how, you know, drafting, drafting another center could kind of limit their downside, I do think it would improve their, like the expected outcome of this core. I, I do, because I don't just like, I don't buy Cat becoming an elite defender. I still think he'll improve, but right. I, I do think that it would improve their expected outcome. And like... Wiseman could fall too. Like, what if the Wolves? What if the Wolves are drafting sixth? Actually, six is the most likely position they draft. That that's what's that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. So let's yeah. say so. Let's say they're at six, and like you know, five guys go off the board before him. Like, if James Wiseman is on the board at six, like he's going to be the highest upside pick. So oh yeah. So that's you know, I could see them taking the swing then. You know, on that. Yeah. And maybe, and you know what? Maybe in their eyes, it's like, it's a year. Let's see what we got here. It's another, you know, that's maybe a better trade chip to put into the, you know, to the coffer to make a move. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's what they did with Jarrett Culver. I don't know if that was the plan with Jarrett Culver all along, but like Jarrett Culver might prove to having been a one year, like put him in the system and trade him guy. Maybe that same thing happens with this pick. And if that, that could be James Wiseman too. Like, if he projects to be the best asset going forward, I could see them drafting him because they know that they're going to need to maximize their assets. This team gets better. This team gets better best, I think, by making a sequence of trades because there, there isn't just like a straight line path to like, oh, like all of a sudden they're going to get a third star. Like, no, they're going to have to go flip, 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 flip. Or yeah. to your point, they're going to draft some dude who becomes Donovan Mitchell. I just don't know if you, I don't know if you have that. I don't know if you yeah. have that. Maybe they can, but maybe they can do both paths at the same time, right? Like maybe they're like, well, let's see if Anthony Edwards can be Donovan Mitchell. Let's see if James Wiseman can be that, you know, that level of, of player. Um, and then if not, still pretty good trade asset that we can, you know, string together with another player to, you know, make a whole sort of Jacob's ladder of moves. I think that's, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. what ends up happening. I, I think that's a good point. I think it's going to be for, you know, as long as this Rosas group is around, it's always going to be important to remember that I'm sure part of their discussion around draft prospects is like, what will their trade value be? Uh, you know, assuming normal, a normal world happens in the next six months, what are each of these players trade value six months from now, 12 months from now, 24 months from now, because he's, he just says it over and over again. We build through trades and we build through the draft. We build through trades and we build through the draft. 
So like thinking about it in that perspective is really interesting to me. I will like, if, if they end up drafting Weissman, it's going to be something that I get excited about because there's so much about pairing Cat with a defensive-minded five who can, at least hopefully in Weissman's case, shoot. There's just so much interest that's interesting about that. Well, it just it lays a whole different groundwork from what we've ever yeah. known Cat to be. I mean, yeah. he played this year with tiny guys, Robert Covington mostly, right? And then other than Keelan that, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, other than that, then who are the other bigs he's played with? I mean, it's like Taj Gibson, Dario Saric, Gorgie Jang yeah. for the most part. I mean, KG, KG like way back bit. in the day, but like none of, none of those players listed are the same. Again, I keep saying archetype, but archetype of player as James Wiseman is. No. Yeah. Gorgie's the closest, but even he's not, he's not there. No, cause just cause, cause Wiseman, man. People like go watch him and go watch him in the weird things. Like watch yes. him close out on somebody. He looks like a freaking pterodactyl. Like it's it's the same as the transition, transition and closeouts. It's unbelievable. It, it's it's literally well. I mean, we'll get to this with the rest of the draft, but so many of these guys are just like physically underwhelming. They just don't. I mean, they don't pop at all. They're like maybe a role player. At least you you watch you watch James Wiseman. You watch Obi Toppin. You watch Anthony Edwards, you can go, these guys are for sure physically imposing. I know that. And will be yeah. at the NBA level. And that, on film, that pops to you. And I think I would say Wiseman more than anybody else because he's fast, he's heavy already as a 19-year-old, and and he's huge. So he's he's for sure he's for sure an intriguing prospect. And I I put the odds low that he ends up on the Wolves. But it, it makes for a, a fun sort of hypothetical. Yeah, totally. And both of these guys, I mean, in large part because of that explosiveness and athleticism and size are two of the more, you know, quote unquote, star potential guys in the draft. So I'm sure they're, you know, right up top of Rosas's board. We will be back. Um, we'll get keep moving through sort of the top 10. I don't know. I mean, depending on how long this goes to, I mean, the Wolves drafted 16 too. So we'll move yeah. all the way. We'll move all the way down to there. I think that'll be an interesting spot to look at at prospects totally. too, but this will kind of be uh, the mold for, uh, you know, a lot of the podcasts, for sure the ones that I do with Charlie here here going forward. So um, stay tuned into that. I'm going to write up something on Anthony Edwards, which will have kind of video of what Charlie and I were just talking about. You can check that out at zonecoverage.com. Until next week, he's Charlie Johnson at C. John's MBA. I'm Dane. Peace out.